live phone call interviews, which is considered the gold standard of polling. And I would say it used to be. There is no gold standard anymore with a single mode of communication. I mean, could you imagine running a campaign on only direct mail and never knocking a door and never doing a digital ad? It seems asinine that we would not run a campaign on one communication channel, but we trust polling that is only on one communication channel. I'm Eric Wilson, managing partner of Startup Caucus, an investment fund and incubator for Republican campaign technology. Welcome to the Business of Politics show. On this podcast, we bring you into conversation with the entrepreneurs who are building best-in-class political businesses, the funders who provide the capital, and the operatives who put it all together to win campaigns. Today, we're speaking with Brent Buchanan, who is the CEO and founder of Signal, which provides polling, market research, and predictive analytics services to campaigns, corporations, and trade associations. He's also an investor in campaign tech startups. We'll discuss that and the innovations that Brent is leading in the polling industry. Brent, given how crowded and competitive the political polling space is, what was the conviction that led you to say, you know what, there's a better way to do this, and you started Signal? I actually started this business in 2007 under a totally different company name called Public Strategy Associates. And we basically just did work in Alabama, and then it kind of got out to the Southeast, but it was everything. So we were a soup to nuts shop doing the GC work, the mail, the TV, TV placement, radio, canvassing. And then in, it was the 2010 cycle. We had the majority of the pickup seats uh, in the Alabama legislature, which most people don't know. But in 2010, the House and the Senate in Alabama were supermajority Democrat. And we were able to, in one cycle, flip it to Republican supermajorities in both chambers. Um, and so it was after that cycle where we had more than a dozen candidates we were handling everything for and won every single one of them. Um, I began to look at, at polling and saying, okay, well, there, there has to be a way to do this faster and cheaper and as accurate or more accurate. And again, this is back in the day of give your calling file to a call center and they call all landlines and 20% of people took your survey. So, I mean, that was the heyday of polling um, where response rates were crazy high and it was inexpensive to get responses. But we were still looking at it saying we have all these legislative races, even some who have, you know, half a million, million dollar budgets. And I thought polling was too expensive 11 years ago. And so we began exploring. We're like, heck, we figured everything else out in campaigns. Let's figure this out, too. Not that we were great at all those things, but at least we could do them. Um, and so that that in 2011 really began our journey of how do we provide better polling, more reliable polling, and do it at a better cost. And that really has been our, our North Star all along over the, over the past 10 years. And so we were some of the first to really take interactive voice response, auto, auto dials basically, and take that and turn it into a much more statistically significant polling methodology. When we saw that declining, then we began, we were some of the first to integrate live cell phone calls with, with automated calls. And then in 2017, we were the first people to, to start integrating text messaging in. And that really began our journey of uh, software development too, because we realized that if we're going to do these complex projects and not just outsource and rely on a vendor while we twiddle our fingers and wait for the poll results to come back from them, then we're going to have to really build tech inside of our company because the process is so complex. Some of it on the tech side is just customizing off the shelf tools. And then, you know, we spend 
significant six figures a year with our development team. And we've just realized that their political tech, and I'm so glad you do what you do with the Startup Caucus, there are so many ways to create efficiencies in political businesses, whether it's polling or, or something else. And, and when these firms start taking the cash that we make in these even years and investing it to build the future, I think that's when we're going to start seeing a transformation of the political industry as a whole. Right. From my perspective as a consumer of polling services, it seems like the main differentiator between approaches is around methodology. Can you just give our listeners a quick lesson on the different options and, and the pros and cons of each? So the majority of polling firms out there still write a script, send it off to a call center. The call center does all the work collecting the sample, which is the responses to the survey. And either the call center or a third-party data provider generates the reports and sends it back to the pollster. And those um, are the live interviews. Correct. Over phone. Live phone call interviews, which is considered the gold standard of polling. And I would say it used to be. There is no gold standard anymore with a single mode of communication. Because um, if you think about how people communicate in general, we don't just use one. I mean, could you imagine running a, a campaign on only direct mail and never knocking a door <laughs> and never doing a digital ad? Like, it seems asinine that we would not run a campaign on one communication channel, but we trust polling that is only on one communication channel. Um, and so that that's the what the majority of firms do, and that's how their business is structured. You can still get completes through the automated. It's a very small number because you got to think of how many people have landlines and then how many people answer those, and then how many people answer surveys, and you just start to see a really You're small starting number. starting to narrow your, your, yeah. your conversion funnel pretty quickly. Yeah, exactly. So if you really want to know what old people think, there's your channel. But Yeah, I mean, so like, just so people understand that like, this is a, a 15 to 20 minute interview on the phone with a, a person. And, and just like, that's not something that a lot of people do anymore. Yeah. And so the, the solution a few cycles ago was, well, let's start calling cell phones. And then the solution with subsequent cycles was let's just call more cell phones. And, and nobody stepped back and said, is phones the best way to do this? And so we have a phone component to every single project that we do. However, we have realized that every mode of communication, like texting people and inviting them to a survey, emailing them and inviting them to the survey, calling them and asking them the questions, using online panels, using social and display ads to drive folks to the survey. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can get people to take the survey. And every one of them has a part that they're best at. And then there's also a downside. So like, for example, when you're calling landlines, that group of people doesn't look like when you call cell phones. Um, you're going to get a little bit younger voter. But then likewise, there's a whole lot of people like me that if I don't recognize the number, I'm not picking it up regardless of who's on the other end of the line. And so what we have found is the best approach is all the approaches. Because when you put a bunch of imperfect things together, they tend to cover up the other's imperfections, if that makes sense. That is a really fascinating outlook on, on how to do it. It's clear that the way we've been doing it isn't going to keep working. And so we've got to try a bunch of different things. And, and I think one of the things that's been tough for the industry is to back away from that gold standard, right? The live interview is the thing to go with. And it, it may be, but it just doesn't exist anymore, right? It's sort of like wishing for a bygone era. So what does the next disruption in polling look like? I think the next disruption is the maturation of online polling. The basis of online polling is that there are hundreds, if not thousands of panel providers who have recruited people to take surveys. 
this could be surveys for Sprite on a new can design. These are just simply people who have raised their hand and said, I'll take a survey. And they usually are incentivized a small amount. And then you take enough of those surveys and, and you can turn them in for gift cards. That is how most panel providers operate. Um, the, the challenge is most of the time that's not tied back to the voter file. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you run one of those surveys and you ask PII, personally identifying information, and then you try to match it back to the voter file, you know, you're lucky if you get 60, 65% match back. Um, there are some providers who say they have or matched to the voter file, but they're really just taking the respondents and doing the match, you know, to an L2 or somebody like that. We do market research for non-political purposes and panels are a large component of that. They work when we don't have to tie them back to actual people. So like it's enough for us to know that it's a female, a 35 year old female in the suburbs in a market research study. It is not enough for us to know that on a political survey because we need to have their voter history. We need to have other pieces of information um, that we wouldn't have from just using an online poll. So I think that's the biggest one. I am concerned about texting in general, not just for people like our firm who are using it for surveys, but for fundraising, for voter communication, for turnout, for persuasion. Like I I really think that the carriers are like these um, unregulated cabals that are really running the show now on texting because the FCC won't step in and just say, hey, we said political is set apart and separate. And so therefore you have to allow political traffic on your carrier networks. The bigger challenge is scale. So trying to do a representative online sample in a congressional district is somewhat possible, but it's really pushing the limits of panel. Even if you use 15 different panel providers, 15 of the biggest panel providers in the states, like it's a challenge. You can do it statewide, but then when you say, oh, let's do Republican primary voters in Iowa, then all of a sudden that becomes untenable. Um, And so it's really the scale of these panels of how many panelists that there are uh, recruited to take surveys. Um, but our, our belief is that's helpful, but the multi-mode concept is going to stay around. Um, just because we move to maybe in the future using more online completes, we're still going to have a phone component. We're still going to find other ways to communicate with voters because no one mode has all the pluses and none of the negatives. Mm-hmm. Right. So it is uh I mean, it's just a, 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 a sort of a Gordian knot of a problem. And, and I think one of the things that we've, we might have to just get past is this idea that, um, well, I, I, this is my, my thesis is that we, we got too used to, uh, polling as, as a predictive, um, uh, mechanism of saying, Hey, this is where things are. And, and so you go back to like 2016 when people are not the first time, but people were surprised with with the results of a polling. Do we need to rethink how we approach or understand political polling? You're exactly right. We're going to have to change how we think about polling, but I still think polling can be predictive. Mm-hmm. Um, where I think it's going to need to change is us to start thinking about this more like brands think about, and, and we do a lot of brand assessment and tracking. And so it's really less about doing a massive benchmark poll and then doing pretty hefty brush fire polls. Like I think there's a better way to track fewer data points more often and get the same or better result. We do work from Governor Kemp down to the House and Senate caucuses in Georgia. And a Georgia House district is really tiny. 
And so it's already almost impossible to conduct a good survey with a representative sample in a Georgia House district. So like when we think about what comes next, we think about what are the different ways that we can use to get to the same objective. So is there a way that you could test messaging in a broader scope than just that one House district, but apply it to that House district and maybe some others? Is there a way that we can use data science to start creating the tracking components of what you would traditionally use a brush fire pole for. And so we look at all of that is how do we still provide them the information, but maybe it looks different or it's in a different format or a different approach than they're used to. Yeah. And I think it, it, you know, I mean, just going way out into the future, artificial intelligence and, and the things that we're seeing with with natural language processing that, you know, we will, we will soon be in a place where, where the tech can fill in some of this for us uh, pretty reliably. We do something called emotive analysis and we actually use natural language. Um, and then we have an, an AI software that's tied to a, a lexicon that we built with a neuroscientist and a political psychologist to actually understand what emotions people are feeling. When you ask them a question like, how do you feel about what's going on in the state of Florida right now? Use as many or few words as you want. And so it comes out as a verbatim, as an open-ended response, which on its face is helpful because like you can do word clouds and see trends. But when it goes into our mode of analysis software, then we have the ability to say, okay, well, independent women are actually having a lot more anxiety, a lot more fear than Democratic women. And the Republican women are actually more angry, and it's a really strong type of anger, like righteous anger and vengefulness. So when you talk to those three audiences, Republican women, Democratic women, independent women, like you need to have a different emotional tone for each of those because of how they feel. Um, And so if you come at them with a message that is not speaking to that tone that they're feeling, then it's going to be harder to break through because they don't feel understood. You're listening to the Business of Politics show. I'm speaking today with Brent Buchanan, who is CEO of Signal, which was ranked the most accurate polling firm in 2018 by the New York Times, which is a good honor. So Brent, I want to shift now to your your role as as an investor in campaign startups. And so for our listeners who are either you know thinking about starting a company or investing in startups themselves, give us an idea of what it is that you look for in an investment. I look at investing from a couple different perspectives. One is you're putting money in because you would like to see a return. However, I think, especially with what you're doing, Eric, is this is a responsibility that those of us who have built something and are continuing to build something have to help the next group of people in a way that maybe there is some benefit, you know, to to me or my company personally and in, in what some of this technology is doing. But really, it's more about how can we help create the next set of tools that gives us an advantage because the Democrats have this and they have billionaires funding it. We don't on the the right. We have regular people like me and you that are saying we're going to take a chance and we're going to risk some of our own capital because we believe in benefit that this is going to provide to our side uh, moving forward. What should an entrepreneur do to get in front of you and convince you that their company is worthy of investment? Well, they have to have an incredibly compelling value proposition that speaks to an unmet need, but probably more so an unmet problem. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they are very, very clear on this problem exists in the market. These are the other people attempting to solve it and why they are not solving it. And then here's the value proposition for somebody who uses us to solve that problem. And so it's really no different than any other kind of investment. I just think that 
the political industry, especially on the right, does not lend itself to trying new things. You think about the old saying, nobody gets fired for hiring IBM. So like if, if your job is to pick the consultant or pick the mainframe or pick the computers, like you never got fired for picking IBM, even though they may not be the most innovative, uh, they may be the most expensive. And so our because our, our business is so relationship-based, there are many times that the best person does not win. And we've experienced that personally. We're like, we have the proof to show that what we are doing is better than what anybody else is doing. And we still lose to somebody who is the, quote, IBM of our vertical. Um, and so the people are not willing to take risks because that risk could mean a race. Like you were saying earlier, politics is a zero sum game. You either win or lose on election day, or if you're in New York, you know, five weeks after election day. (laughs) Um, And so the risk tolerance is really low. And I think there's an opportunity, and and this is going to have to come from like the committees and the really big funders to say, we'll do what we're comfortable with, but we're also going to invest X dollars in these new things because we realize that the thing we're comfortable with is on its last leg. Right. And I, I mean, that, that's one of the reasons why I started startup caucus, right? Because I, I knew we were falling behind, uh, based on what I was seeing on the left and, you know, sure we might be able to catch up in a cycle or two, but let's not get behind. Uh, let, let's stay competitive. So that's really helpful. Um, you know, information there for, for any potential founders who are, are listening. It's, it's really a good understanding of your problem, uh, a good understanding of your users. It's not necessarily, you know, did I go to the right school? Do I have the right connections? Um, you know, there are people who can help out with that, which is you know one thing that we do is, is help with networking. And, and you've always been very helpful with that as well. So let's talk about some of those problems. What are some of the opportunities or problems that you see that need solving inspiring entrepreneurs should tackle? All of them. I really think that every single part of a campaign is ripe for disruption, including our approach to social media. And I'm just saying that as one example, but like mm-hmm. it tends to be the sexy, cool new tool. And even it needs looking at. I'll give an example. You know, we invested a lot of money building a scripting platform that we knew would create internal efficiencies for us. We thought it would be really cool to the end client. So like um, scripting would, for your, your, the, for our, the, yeah, for our survey instruments. Okay. Got uh, it. Yeah. You know, making the process of creating the script of working on it with the client and of internally, once we have a script, turning it into the survey instrument that actually goes out and, and is used uh, for people to respond to. I mean, we spent a lot of time and money on this and we gave the concept and they said, okay, well, yeah, that's cool. I think I'd use it. But then they would ask for a Word document. <laughs> we sent them the link. And so old habits die hard. Uh, and I think that's something important for us to keep in mind that if, if people are used to working a certain way, that we have to build things around what they're used to more so than try to create something new because we know it's better, but then they decide, you know, they're going for the, the comfortable thing. Um, and so when you... I think there's opportunities in mail, in TV, in in content creation, in the buying process, in the tracking process. I think digital has become too focused. Like, how do we make it the mix between like direct mail and TV and do that at scale and do it personalized and and do things that people actually pay attention to when they pull it out of their mailbox. And so I, I don't see a single part of our industry that is not ripe for uh, or rife with problems to to mm. tackle. So the world is the oyster for entrepreneurs and technologists. Brent, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I want to encourage everyone listening to go check out the Signal 
Pulse podcast, which you can find wherever podcasts are, are served. And you can learn more about Signal in the link in our show notes here. And please remember to subscribe to the Business of Politics show wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. And if this conversation today made you smarter, gave you an idea, all I ask in return is that you share it with a friend or colleague. That helps us so much with getting in front of new people and introducing them to the show. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next time. 